Let us pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for this morning, for this music. Um, we thank you for the baptism that we got to experience and be a part of. And Lord, as we um, dig into what the Bible compels us to do uh, today, I pray that we would um, see areas in each of these steps and in all of our lives uh, together and as individuals, that we would see areas where we can grow and take steps uh, to live under the authority of God as we see it in scriptures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for worship today. We are um, still plowing through this series called The Old, the New, and You, talking about the authority of God in scriptures and the, the role that scriptures play in our lives as the body of Christ, as believers. And so I want to start this sermon. We're kind of t- turning a corner here now. Um, we've built uh, an extensive foundation over the last six or seven weeks uh, to help us better understand the scriptures, uh, the narrative of scriptures, the major themes of scriptures. And uh, I want to walk through each of these steps that we've talked about, and hopefully you've been keeping up with us. Um, if you have not, all of these sermons, with the exception of last week's, is available on Facebook and on YouTube. You can go watch them. Um, and the one last week, if you would like a link for that, you're welcome to reach out to the office, and we will send you a link to view last week's sermon as well. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, the first week of this series, we talked about creation, because when you're talking about the Bible, you start at the beginning, right? In the beginning. And we talked about God's design for a flourishing life. The scriptures tell us that there is one true God who is creator. And this is a God who can make something out of nothing. Like literally can make something when there was nothing. This isn't a God who takes what was existing already and makes all of the earth. He makes it out of nothing. He speaks it into existence. And this is a God who has instilled in creation the ability to further and create life, to be fruitful and multiply. That's what God tells Adam and Eve in the garden. From there, we talked about sin and the fall, when sin entered the world. The belief of a lie, a deception, that God was holding back something good is what led Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat of. They plunged into the deception rather than trusting that God actually knew what was best for them and had given them this flourishing, abundant garden that they could have anything that they wanted in it. And they chose the one thing that God said wouldn't be the best for them. We still suffer from those decisions today. We suffer from Adam and Eve's decision today because we still obviously live in a broken and in a sinful world. And then we talked about Babylon. Babylon is this on-again, off-again enemy of God's people, of Israel. This deception of the enemy, Babylon tries to re-educate God's people and counterfeits all of the good and wonderful things that God has made. God's people were in exile in Babylon due to disobedient and godless leaders. If you've ever read through some of the genealogies in the Old Testament, it says, this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, This was Israel's issue. They were under leadership who did not honor and trust and seek God. And in exile, the royal people, the good-looking people, the influencers, these young men that we talked about, were chosen to be re-educated so that they might convert God's people into Babylonian pagans, so that they were a people that didn't know or care about the God of Israel in all of the ways that he had provided for them in the past. And we talked about some really incredible parallels between Babylon then and our culture today. After that, we talked about the covenants that God makes in the Old Testament and the gospel. God continues to break into this existence of his people He continues to break in and he makes promises. 
and he keeps his promises. He fulfills his promises. God works through his people and a handful of faithful people and prophets to bring about the good news, the gospel, Jesus Christ. And we see that in the beginning of the New Testament. We see that God brings life and brings salvation and brings forgiveness of sins through the Messiah. And we've talked about how God still works this way. God is still breaking into our lives. God is still working to fulfill the promises through Jesus Christ, through the church, and what has promised to come as Jesus returns one day. God still breaks into our lives with the promise of forgiveness and new life and grace. And then we looked at the main ethic, the main theme of the New Testament. Love thy neighbor. Love thy neighbor. We talked about how any struggle, any theological difference, any conflict is to be handled in and through the love of Jesus Christ. That is our call as Christians. So we go to God to define what love is, and we experience the love of Jesus Christ so that we can overflow with that same love to the world around us. And our greatest witness to the world is how we are able to love even when we're confronted with disagreement or with sin or with persecution. That is our greatest witness as the body of Christ. And we said love is the bar, right? That is the standard. Anything that comes at us in life, even the things that get under our skin or agitate us or infuriate us, we are called to live differently than how the world would live in those situations by loving as Christ has loved us. And then finally, last week, we talked about God as the giver of life, that God is not making people by accident. And that God's people, as God's people, we are to champion the life that God creates from the womb to the tomb, that we are to support the life that God has said is going to be. And that that life of God invites us not just into one of physical life, right, but one of spiritual life and abundance. And our lives as followers of Jesus are lives that live into that abundant life. God is really about life. If you look through the New Testament, if you look through the Old Testament, He is always bringing redemption and life where there isn't any or where there's a lack of it. And God still desires to do that for all of us today. So today, we're kind of pausing in the narrative. We're turning a corner, like I said. And we're going to be touching on a few of the scripture passages that we have touched on uh, and reframing things a bit. And I think the reason for this is important. We don't want this sermon series to be an academic exercise. We don't want it to just fill your head with good stuff to think, right? We want to see God move to change us, to transform us, to make us come alive. Maybe our whole lives, maybe areas of our life that need redemption. God wants us to come alive, and he wants us to experience his love in a new and impactful way, to find his truth to be appealing. He wants us to to see how appealing his life is for us and the truth that he speaks to us with through these scriptures. Because we live in a world of half-truths and lies, it is very valuable to us as followers of Jesus to know what is true and what is not, as God sees it. And honestly, I would like to see nothing short of a revival in this place or, or this community. How many of you have been following the Asbury revivals? Have you seen news stories on that? A few of you. Uh, I'm told, or I read on on Facebook, that there were more people at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky yesterday, there were more people there for a revival than there were at the UK basketball game. It's a big deal, right? Um, Yeah, you can clap for that. That's great. 
Yeah. <laughs> and God is moving in this world, and he's continuing to break in and break through. And we don't have to go to Kentucky to be a part of it. Most of you are like, thank you, <laughs> right? You don't have to go to Hilton Coliseum to be part of it either. But God is moving in many different ways, and I want God to inspire us through these scriptures. So uh, let me remind you, this is a book of faith, yes, definitely a book of faith, but it is more than that. It is also a historical document. It is also the history of God's people in Israel, and it is a book that has undergone rigorous scrutiny and tests and, and withstood countless attacks from generation to generation. In it, we find a historical account of Jesus and of forgiveness and of a resurrection from the dead, and of an, a, a people, a church, who literally put their entire lives on the line because they saw Jesus, the man who was dead, was now alive. And they experienced his presence and the forgiveness of their sins. So yes, in the scriptures, we find many things. We can find endless truth and wisdom and knowledge that will work to transform our lives. And I believe that that's what God wants for us. He wants us transformed. Wherever we are at today, there is more life that we are, can experience, that we are invited into in Christ Jesus. And so we ask the question, what now? If we have this really good foundation, if we've, if we've looked through the scriptures and we see this God who is making promises and keeping them and bringing life, a God who has made the way for us to be restored to relationship to him through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, what does God want us to do now? What now? And I think there's three incredible things that are very consistently represented throughout the scriptures. The first is that God wants us to believe. To believe. Heston read for us John 1, 1 through 14 earlier. And I'm going to walk through that. I'm not going to read it again, but I'm going to walk through that. Because this is one of those passages that really compels us to believe. So John, in writing the Gospel of John, the, the other three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. Those are Gospels that are primarily historical account, right? They're telling stories, they're telling what happened. Now the Gospel of John is a little different. John is telling you right on the first page who he thinks Jesus is and why it's important. This entire Gospel account of Jesus, all the stories he tells about Jesus' life and ministry come under the assumption that Jesus is the Son of God who has died for our sins and he rose from the dead. All of it comes under that assumption. And so in John 1, we see in verse 1, we are called to believe that Jesus is God. John isn't just making assumptions here. John isn't just you know, urging us to consider that he might be God or might be some good guy who's divine or something like that. Jesus is God, and he is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's what we learn in verse 1. In verse 3 of John 1, we are compelled to believe that all things have been, that have been made were actually made through him, through Jesus. Jesus being part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, all of the things that we experienced, that we read about in Genesis 1 and 2, were actually, they came to be because of Jesus and through Jesus. We're compelled to believe that. Verse 4 and 5 compel us to believe that Jesus is the light and that not even the darkness can overcome it. The evil cannot overcome our triune God. And this is one of those phrases that, that has really got me the last year or two. The darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of darkness that needs to be overcome by the light of Jesus Christ in our lives and in this world. Uh, so we'll keep coming back to that one maybe in the future here. Verses 9 
10 and 11 in John chapter 1. They compel us to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh coming into the world, but he's also man. The world had and still has a hard time recognizing him for who he is. But John compels us to believe that he is indeed God in the flesh. Verse 12, he says, believe in his name. Believe in his name, the name of Jesus, and receive him to become children of God. Verse 14, believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, revealing to us the glory of God, full of grace and truth. So those are just a few of the things in this first chapter of John that it compels us to believe. Jesus is God. He is one with God. All things have been made through him. He is the light that the darkness cannot overcome. He is God in the flesh coming into the world. He has a name. And when we believe in that name and receive him and become children of God, our destinies are changed. We're compelled to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then and for all of eternity. And then John 3.16. You're familiar with that verse, I hope. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Belief is important. I remember preaching on that a few months ago. Belief is important. And so again and again and again, not just in the Gospel of John, but in the Old Testament all the way through, we are compelled by the Bible to believe that God is who he says he is, that he is good, and that he has good things for us. And that no matter how broken and how sinful we think that our lives have been, no matter how much we don't understand all the theological nuances of the Scriptures, he asks us to believe and have faith. Because that leads us somewhere. It leads us somewhere really good. The next thing that we're going to talk about is this. The second big theme is that of repentance. The Bible urges us to believe, compels us to believe, but it also calls us then to repent. Second Chronicles 7.14 in the Old Testament says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. This is a verse that I've heard a lot prayed over this country and the Western world recently. In the Old Testament, this is an example of repentance, a call to repentance. This repentance was necessary for Israel to be restored to relationship to God. And the same is true in the messages of the New Testament as well. We turn from sin and face toward Jesus. That's what repentance means. To repent means to turn away. So if this microphone is my sin and I need to repent from that, I am literally turning away and I'm facing Jesus Christ. We're turning away from our sin and we're facing God. We're fixing in our frame of vision the one who can save us, not the thing that is breaking us and hindering us. And so we are called to repent. And in that repentance, as we turn from sin and face towards Jesus Christ and his grace, we find forgiveness and hope. The Western church and the American church doesn't often preach on repentance uh, because we want to feel good and uplifted every week when we leave, right? Sometimes we need to confront our own sin too and the sin of the church and the sin of God's people. We can't just exist assuming that it's not going to impact us, because it does. And here's what's really important. I don't think we really truly come to know Jesus Christ unless we turn away from our sin. 
We cannot come to know Christ without brokenness and repentance. And the temptation is to steer away from preaching repentance because it requires us to realize and admit that we are broken and sinful people, and we don't like to think about that, do we? We don't measure up to Jesus Christ. We don't measure up to this law, this truth, this goodness that God has lavished on us. We do not measure up. And this temptation to steer away from talking about this has created a church in this country that actually tolerates sin, and it redefines sin so that it doesn't even have to tolerate it anymore. And we see a church in many ways that looks not that different from the pagan culture that we live in. You might say we don't live in a pagan culture. I would argue that we do. Um, We live in a pagan culture because this culture has millions of idols, um, millions and millions of idols that have supplanted God from their lives, supplanted Jesus from their lives. So just like when Israel lost its way, they looked no different than all those neighboring countries and nations who worshiped false gods and even sacrificed their own children on altars. Repentance means that we are convicted of our sin, we realize that it's real and that we have it, and then we confess that to our Lord and Savior and we turn away from that sin. We turn away from it to face Jesus Christ, the one who can save us. In our Matthew passage this morning, uh, we see John the Baptist His role was a ministry of calling people into repentance. John the Baptist preaches, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this repentance, this turning from sin and seeking God, is what lays the foundation for those in that time to know and accept Jesus Christ. And that repentance is what lays the foundation for us to know and accept Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and love in our lives. And we cannot embrace the sin at the same time as the Savior which is why we must turn from the thing that breaks us towards the thing that fulfills us and restores us. Jesus has the same message. Just a chapter later, after he's attempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4, he begins his public ministry. Matthew 4, 17 tells us that Jesus then began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's message was also Jesus' message. And this is still Jesus' plea to us today. We have an incredible blessing given to us by God to find forgiveness and to be restored to relationship through Jesus Christ. And it's time that we stop clinging to things that God calls sin and start clinging to the one who saves us from that sin. Repentance means that we take Jesus' call seriously to leave the old life and the sin behind and follow him. And that leads us to the third thing the scriptures compel us to do. We believe, we repent, and we follow. And I would add that we follow in love because love, as we learned two weeks ago, is the bar. Anything that we do, that we operate in, anything that we are in Christ Jesus must be smothered in his love. John 15, 9 through 10, we heard this a couple weeks ago. I'm going to recap it here. It says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This is Jesus talking. Now remain in my love, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So remembering this from a couple weeks back, following Jesus involves keeping his commands and his teachings, not downplaying those in our lives, but learning more and growing in our understanding on how we know those and then live them out and live accordingly. And God has given us certain directions and commands clearly Because he wants us to experience good and abundant life rather than suffer in our sin. 
So we follow Jesus by obeying his commands and by loving like he loves us. That's one of the ways, the primary way that we follow Jesus. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 from the Old Testament speaks to the same thing. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight, he will direct your paths. God will direct our paths. If Jesus is our Lord and if we trust in him, then our paths are to be directed by him, and we are to follow where they lead. And too often we make up our own minds on what to do. I'm guilty of this too, by the way. We make up our own minds on what to do and where to go with life, and then we ask God to bless that. But we don't start with faith in Jesus Christ, so we don't start by humbly submitting and say, Lord, where are you leading me? How can I follow you in this circumstance or in this season of life? You know, that's not how God's authority in Scripture works. Um, It begins with God's love in Jesus Christ. It follows that we trust in faith and obedience to God's direction, and it concludes with God's love transforming us now and preparing us for an eternity of paradise. How can we expect to experience God's abundant life for us if we're not willing to follow the one who gives it? Jesus Christ. And the leading of the Holy Spirit, who he has promised to all who believe. We follow Jesus by trusting in his teaching, his promises, and his power to save us now and transform us as we follow him. And then Matthew 28 has a different part of this following story. 18 and 20, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Following Jesus means we respond to the call that he has placed on our lives and on the church. It means that we recognize that we are a people of the power of God and not people who are helpless to change the world. And so this great commission, we call it great for a reason, it cannot be overlooked by anybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus. We follow Jesus by participating in the work, by being part of it, the work that Jesus calls his followers to participate in. Proclaiming the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like we did this morning, and by teaching people, those inside the church and those who come to know Christ outside of the church, teaching them the way of Jesus and his commands for this life and for the next. And again, that's for all of us. It's not just for the pastor or a select few. All of us are under the same call. All of us. So believe, repent, and follow. Where does this take us today? Recognizing that God exercises and communicates his authority through the scripture is not the same thing as living under that authority. We can know it. We can know that it's there and it's good. This is a gut check that I need to do on myself frequently too. I know, I know that God's authority is here. I like it. I know that it's good. I trust it. I've experienced its goodness. And I struggle to live under it because I have my own sinful desires. I have pride. I have distractions. I have business that has to be done. Even business in the church that has to be done. I have things that I may think are good, and I let those things keep me from what God has that is better. And I think that's the reality, if we're honest, that we would all find ourselves in. 
And so today I want to keep things simple, and I want to challenge you with three questions. The first is this. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, and that he invites you to join in abundant life now and the resurrection that is to come? Do you believe it? And the next question, will you repent? I don't think he forces us to. Will you repent of past sins, of present sins, of sins of omission, the things you should have done that you didn't do? And will you live a life of repentance, coming back to it daily, where you humbly and regularly come before the Lord to confess your sins and receive forgiveness? Will you repent? And out of that forgiveness that you experience in Jesus Christ, will you follow? Jesus is calling you. He has called us. He is calling us now in this moment. He's calling us to follow his way of life, of love, of abundance, of flourishing life. So will we follow him? Let's pray. Lord, um, it's not easy to believe sometimes, and it's not easy to repent from our sins. But Lord, we thank you that you have made a way. We thank you, God, that again and again you have proven um, your love for us. You have proven that you are a God who breaks in to the darkness and that the darkness flees from your light. And Lord, this morning, um, some of us here need to experience that light in a fresh way. Lord, would you make your face shine on us and show us your grace this morning? Lord, would you highlight the things in our lives, the areas where we lack belief and help us to believe? Would you highlight those areas of sin in our lives where we need to repent and turn away from those things to face you and experience love and forgiveness? And Lord, in the many ways that we often miss your call in our lives in the little things, and sometimes we even miss the big call that you put on our lives to follow, I pray that we would see it, that you would empower us to humbly follow you all the days of our lives. All of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.